Ernie, would you come up here? This is Pastor Ernie Smith. Ernie is a veteran of uh, pastoring 50 years. And I've asked Ernie this morning if he would read Revelation. <laughs> Don't let him fool you. If I, had, if I had his much energy now in my life, I'd be thrilled with it. So yeah, but Ernie has agreed to read Revelation 12 for us this morning. So thank you. Yeah. You ready? I am. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for time, times and a half, or time, and out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river, to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring and those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And you're dismissed. <laughs> How do I follow that, Ernie? That was awesome. Have you, uh, have you heard the term gaslighting? You know what I'm talking about, the gaslighting? Not like gaslighting your gas grill, but um, it's a phrase that has become more common in our modern lexicon, but it's pretty recent as it's entered in. It's, but it's not a new phrase. It's actually been around since the 1930s. Um, I'm going to give you a definition, and in a minute here, you're going to see why I am asking that question. 
gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or group, making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment, often evoking in them cognitive dissonance and other changes, including low self-esteem. Using denial, misdirection, contradiction, and misinformation, gaslighting involves attempts to destabilize the victim, delegitimize the victim's beliefs. Instances can range from the denial by an abuser that previous abusive incidents occurred to belittling the victim's emotions and feelings to the staging of bizarre events by the abuser with the intention of disorienting the victim. Does that sound familiar? Like, most of that is used right now in the context of relationships and abusive relationships. And and in my my humble opinion or arrogant opinion, depending on who you ask, uh, sometimes it's overused. I think sometimes it's used as the word just thrown at everything. But there are definitely instances of that out there. But here's the thing. Gaslighting didn't start in marriage. Gaslighting started, I believe, in, in heaven when Lucifer attempted to overthrow uh, God. And I'm going to make a case for that today of why I believe that and why I believe that was his strategy in heaven. I think it was his strategy in Eden and his strategy with Jesus and now his strategy even today. And we're going to do that by covering the fact that Romans, Romans 12, Revelation 12 I think could be summed up as the gaslighting of the kingdom of God. Here's why I say that. We're going to look today at, when you're looking at a modern day war, psychological war, whatever, it's, it's good to look back at the beginning to see where this all started from. And in fact, Revelation 12 is just that. It's the backstory. Uh, your Netflix binging, Hulu binging, whatever. Somewhere at some point, they're going to do the backstory to get you back, the origin story. Revelation 12 exists in the middle of Scripture here, in the middle of this book, as a backstory of how we got to where we are. And it helps us to understand the enemy's objective, like this dragon, this, this serpent, Satan. Like, what's his objective? It helps us to see his strategy, like the strategy that he has deployed, and how we can fight the battle. We didn't pick it, but it picked us. And that's what we're going to cover today in the, in the moments that we have together. The, the enemy's objective, you can see just in the first few verses there, uh, the tail swept a third of the stars. By the way, that's an, an, an allusion to Lucifer taking one third of the angelic host with him out of heaven. Uh, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. Helpful, by the way, to figure out who the woman is, right? To, to understand the objective of what he is accomplishing here. Well, who is the woman? Now, there are denominations, especially if you've grown up in a Catholic tradition, that would say that this is Mary, okay? That's one thought. I think the best way to interpret the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible, And understanding who this woman is will actually help us then understand what the plan and the objective of Satan is. To to let the Bible interpret the Bible, Joseph had a dream way back in Genesis 39. 
And in that dream, he saw Jacob, his father, as one dressed in the sun. He saw the 12 tribes, his brothers at that point. He saw them as the 12, as 12 stars. He saw the, the wives. He saw them as, as the moon. And if you're like following along, that suddenly is sounding very, very familiar. And if you let the Bible interpret the Bible, then this woman is Israel, representative of Israel. And Israel, okay, this woman gives birth to a man child. And what does it say? I mean, does this sound familiar to you? She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That's Psalm 2 verse 9. It speaks of Messiah, of Jesus. So Israel giving birth to this son, uh, or to this, actually S-O-N, to the son, it's Jesus. Like that's what, that's what this is saying to us here. And when you think through that, what's the plan then? Is I think for Satan, he can't harm God. You understand that God and uh, Jesus are not, I mean, God and Satan are not equals, right? It's, it's not even Batman, Superman, Right, like, and thank God for that, because Ben Affleck, you know, who knows? Everybody has your opinions, but I didn't. I did not enjoy that. But the, the but, but Batman and Superman is technically not a, 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 you know, it's not a good match. I mean, Superman can like run through stuff, and but it's not even that. It's literally God. In fact, in a little bit, it says he had Michael the archangel throw him out of heaven. God didn't like he didn't even get out of his throne. He just had an angel throw him out. That matters because. He can't hurt God. And what's the best way to harm a father to get to the heart of a father or a mother? Go after their children. And you'll see hell coming with fury when you come after my child, right? Satan is going after the thing that God loves the most. Now, my question and your question maybe would be, and if not, it's a good question to ask, how did we even get here? If Lucifer was in heaven, okay, and he was one of the highest, you know, qualified angels, cherubs, whatever, like why would he leave? And if you've got your Bibles out, um, if, if you've got them on your phones, whatever, I, I would love for you to turn with me if you have them. And if not, don't feel embarrassed. Just look over your neighbors. I'm sure they won't mind. But I, I would love for you to see this because in Ezekiel 28, and in Isaiah 14, we see what happened to Lucifer. I think I can show you then, because of what happened to Lucifer, how he convinced one-third of the angelic host to come with him, and how that objective plays out even today. So in Ezekiel 28, verse 11, let's skip down. He's, this is a prophecy, Ezekiel and he starts talking about this mysterious figure. And in verse 13, he says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. He goes on to verse 14. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount. He was in God's presence. Verse 16, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. And then verse 17, you became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Satan's sin, what caused this to happen is pride. 
Now, pride is easy to confuse because if you've accomplished something, you've created a product, you've created a, a, a artwork. My daughter, Lauren, is a very, very talented artist, super, super proud of the work that she does. That's something to be proud of. It's work that she has done. But that's not what he was proud of. He was proud of his beauty. And did he have anything to do with his beauty? And by the way, Satan, with the horns and the pitchfork and the tail and the cape, that's not the Satan of reality or the Bible. That's Dante, okay? That's commercials and cartoons, but the Bible speaks of him as beautiful, as an angel of light. There is no indication that he changed form to become this, but he was beautiful. So he was, in a sense, pride here is me taking credit for something that God did and now that it's my pride, that I am this. When I look in the mirror in the morning, what? And I, and I just, I take a moment, you know, to drink this in. I mean, it would be easy for me to take pride in this. <laughs> like you, Alec Baldwin, you. <laughs> but I didn't do this. I just came out looking like this. I mean, I had less hair and, le well, I gotta say less of me, but technically I was probably the same shape when I was born that I am now. <laughs> But taking credit for something that God did and allowing it, like my beauty, that is pride. And that kind of pride corrupts wisdom. And wisdom then says, if I did this, then I could be doing a whole lot more than I am doing now. And Lucifer allowing that to take place in his heart. Now go with me to Isaiah 14. This is what that kind of wisdom will do to you. Corrupted wisdom in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Another prophetic statement that incorporates who Satan is and how this fall came about. When Jesus said, I beheld you as lightning falling from heaven, all that, this is a moment, like the backstory of this, the origin story of this. I said, verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. On the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. And this is the line, I will make myself like the most high. He's saying, I want equality with God. Pride in who he was, right? I'm just this awesome thing. Now, the corrupted wisdom says now equality with God means that I'm going to then decide that I don't want to be the way that I was created. I want to be something else. Because I'm smart enough, I can now make my own decisions on this. Because God is holding out on me, and now I know what's better. And when you think about that in him, it wasn't equality with the other angels, Equality in humanity is a good thing to strive for. 
And the fallen world will always fall short of it in eternity. Every nation, tribe, and tongue means equality will be there for all of us. Perfect peace is what brings, I'm sorry, perfect justice is what brings perfect peace. But there is nobody this side of heaven that can provide perfect justice. And so in heaven, right, uh, Satan wanting to be like God, equality with God, now is convincing angels you know what? He said that uh, created man in his image, Elohim. By the way, isn't that the lie that he told Eve in the garden? He knows if you eat this, you'll be like him. She already was like him. Elohim, let us make God in our image. And the lie was that because Satan was not and what he wanted was to be. So that little nefarious little uh, thing in Genesis 6 or nebulous, like what, uh, the angels, the sons of God came and made you know, sex with the daughters of men and they, and they made babies. I think that is a 100% assault on equality with God because now we want to be Elohim, we want to create, we want to be part of that. That's a good way to convince a third of the angels to leave heaven to say that God is holding out on you. And if you will just do this, then you can be like him. Equality with God. Much of what we see in our world right now is being called equality with each other. And in reality, it's not. It's an equality with God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree that represented them now deciding what is good and what is evil. A job that only God is qualified for, a job that only God could possibly provide for. When you are allowing culture to decide good and evil, whose culture gets to decide? Pakistan and their brick kiln slaves. Do we let Afghanistan? Do, do we let Asia, China? That's a good one. Do we let them decide the morality? Do we let the United States? Imagine the arrogance of us to suggest that we know the best way so we'll tell the rest of the world how to live. That is us rising to the equality of God and he would say, that, look, he's the one that can tell us the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And the designer is the definer. He has designed you, he will define you. And stepping into that creation of how he's designed you to be isn't a burden, it's not a bummer, it's beautiful. And the lie of Satan, the deception, that I wanna be like him, cost him everything because it was deception. And that said, that brings me to the next point, which is what is the strategy that Satan has been deploying since heaven? It's deception and it is accusation. We see it literally right here in Revelation 12. Uh, did you get that up there? Enemy's objective. I'm really sucking wind on these things today, huh? Oh yeah, it's very exciting. I got it. The enemy's strategy. His objective, by the way, to destroy Israel, to destroy Christians, to destroy everything that God loves. That's the war. That's the battle. To destroy you. And how is he going to do that? He can't physically harm you. God has not allowed that. He's not coming out like an actual dragon breathing fire on you out of your backyard. No, his tactics have not changed since the garden. Deception. Accusation. Did God really say, Eve? 
He's holding out on you. He, you're all on your own. He has not got your best intentions in mind. And in that way, it says here in verse uh, 12, chapter 12, verse 10, towards the end, uh, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night, he has been hurled down accusing you. That is what Satan does to you and to I before God and before your own hearts. And the second thing he does is deception. The one verse nine tells us that leads the whole world astray. He, he doesn't, when you're walking by a voodoo temple in Haiti, you don't have to walk to the other side of the road. You are the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Demon people come out, just come out of you in Jesus' name. There's literally nothing to be scared of there. Right? But that's what we get, begin to think. That's, what the, that's the thing that we got to be scared of. And in reality, deception is his main tool. Making a little smoke and a fire and a rabbit out of a hat like that, that's just David Blaine. What we, the deception is where it's coming from. And in our society, I'm going to show you in a minute where I think that deception itself is one of the most profound tools. Because even in our society right now, that fear that so many people feel the part of the brain where you're feeling that fear and that anxiety is not the part of your brain where logic is coming from, where facts are coming from, which is why it is almost impossible to talk somebody out of an illogical fear with logic because you're literally, you might as well be talking Spanish to a German. It ain't gonna matter. It's a whole different part of your brain. And how brilliant is Satan to bring deception and accusation in a way that it lands so that you could hear the truth and you still can't quite get there because it just doesn't feel right. I just feel this anxiousness in me. It's a part of me that is not being dealt with with logic. That said, deception. Let's skip down here to get through this. The deception that Satan has put on in this world, and by the way, that we all are experiencing, not just Satan whispering in your ear, you know he's not omnipresent, right? Like, like we don't all have our own Satan. There's only one Satan, there's only one Lucifer, there's one. And by the way, Revelation says that he has a throne in a city in modern day Turkey, so you know, just have some research on that and have fun. But, but by setting loose these ideas and these principles, we do a great job of doing the job for him. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 both speak of a king and they speak of Lucifer interchangeably. So in Ezekiel 28, is it the king of Tyre or is it Lucifer? Yes. Right? Is it the king of Babylon or is it Lucifer in Isaiah 14? Yes. Okay. These are the techniques that Satan used in heaven. They're the techniques that he still uses. But when we are then following those same plans and it's just we're just using the same things that he has done and we're experiencing a lot of that same thing so the deception that we've been experiencing whether it's in numbers being cooked from health departments whether it is in deception in media and stories sorry did I say that out loud and whether it's in stories that are being told through media those things that are almost true but not like that's how Satan moves in this world right now And the second thing is accusation. The word devil is actually from, I think it's the Greek word diablos. Spanish word is diablo. Am I getting that right? 
Rondo, yeah. El Diablo. Uh, it just means slanderer. Saying something about you that isn't true. That, that's his job. It's not about saying something that you did that's true. It's literally about saying something about you that isn't true. The slanderer. And when that happens, what we've seen in our society, and I'm telling you it's happening in Western Europe, and it, just wait, it's coming to the rest of the world as well, is the idea that that kind of slander, when put into group think, can do serious and significant damage in the world. How many of the angels came out of heaven with Lucifer? A third. Now, we don't know the numbers. We don't know if that's like a billion and a third of it, but we just don't know. But here's what we do know. It was only a third. They were not the majority. They were the minority. They were just the loudest, okay? And the loudest are getting the attention in our, and it's happening freaking right in front of us right now. Like the, the, this minority of voices is getting the loudest and making you feel crazy. Like, am I the only one that doesn't think that this is? Because the minority is the one controlling the narrative. I, I found this uh, from a book by a guy named Charles McKay. It's called The Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. <laughs> It's a great title, isn't it? He wrote that we find that whole communities suddenly fix their minds on one object and go mad in its pursuit. That millions of people become simultaneously impressed with one delusion and run after it till their attention is caught by some new folly more captivating than the first. Does that sound familiar? That was written in 1841. There is nothing new under the sun. This has been the technique of the enemy since Eden, since Lucifer in heaven, to get the madness of the crowds to pursue with one delusion and run after it until the attention by some new folly. Now, how is that playing out in a modern context? Satan in Ephesians 2 verse 2 is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. Uh, this morning you woke up you probably picked up your phone you might be picked up the tweets or the whatever and but where did it come from like there's no cable see in the olden days lauren we actually had to plug our computers into a wall <laughs> do you remember that we were so excited we bought computers from my booking agency and we had like phone cables jammed into everything because it's the only way we could get internet but not anymore it goes through the air Louis C.K. in that famous comedy bit about the phone, at one point he's screaming because we're all mad because it's not going fast. And he's like, give it a second. It's going to space. <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> the prince of the power of the air. The information that you and I are obtaining right now travels through things called air waves. And I have been to some remote places. I have slept in some hammocks in some sketchy, shall we say, places while texting my wife, like the border of Burkina Faso and Togo, nothing. Now, I don't know why we can't get that figured out in Bethesda, by the way, if someone wants to figure that out. But, you know what I'm saying? 
It's everywhere. The air is covered with the ability to communicate information to you immediately right now. Now, follow me. You're like, Darren, what in the heck are we? I thought we were going to church. Listen to me. I want you to hear me say this because the entertainment business and the news business, by the way, which there is very little difference between the two right now, are both using the airwaves to communicate a specific message of information to you. And that message is controlled by a handful of people. Now, look, I'm trying really hard not to be a conspiracy theory guy. Like, I'm really not, but they're making it harder, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? When Jared Kushner buys a building at 666, like, that's his address. I'm like, come on, man. Could you have not bought the one next door? Like, you're (laughs) trying. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying here. But the point is... In the air right now are messages that are coming to us that are controlled by a very minute amount of people. And that's a pretty chilling thought. In the old days, there was the news was a guy, in fact, the very first newscaster ever, like in history, was a guy named Thomas Knoll. He's kind of famous for his World War II reels, his voice, but one of the things he said in those early days was, I had quickly discovered that my evening program was a perfect way to make listeners angry. You could step on millions of toes at the same time. But in that day, the news was literally someone sitting there emotionless reading this and then letting you decide what you feel about it. That was how it started. And then the news media... The industry changed. Started in the 80s, a little bit, some in the 70s. In the 70s, it was, they owned the distribution channels. If you were the furniture company in Lewisburg and you wanted to sell the new, you know, Lazy Boy, the way that you got to somebody to tell them that they could get a Lazy Boy was through the trucks and the distribution systems of newspapers, and that was how you got them. Now, Television came along and complicated that. So CNN headline news came on. Anybody old enough to remember when it was back in the 80s and it was like 30-minute segments? And it was basically just a rotation of the same news 30 minutes at a time. Remember that? Yeah. And then we like started bombing Iraq. And they thought, well, that's pretty cool. So we're going to make that some TV. And the news then became about like OJ, like immediate. We got to have immediate stories. So it's no longer 30 minutes of the same thing repeated. It was now live news, live things. Like the kid fell in a well. That's going to be a big one. Let's do that one. And the reason that that was working for them was people was watching. People were watching. And they could then sell the furniture company, sell whatever to get advertising. And in that situation, if you're not paying for your news, you are not the customer. You are the product. They're selling you to the advertiser. You read in the newspaper, in the USA Today, you paid your little 25 cents or whatever it was they cost back there. That wasn't how they made their money. They made their money by people willing to pay them to change your behavior. Now, that gets complicated when Rupert Murdoch says, hey, you know what? I bet I could get really rich if I just start targeting a very specific demographic that, and his, his demog- this is his words, not mine, so don't get mad at me. My audience is 55 to dead. That was his audience. 
and my audience 55 to dead, and I'm going to tell stories that will get them angry, that will get them engaged, and it's just that happens. I'm not looking to tell stories like Thomas Sowell anymore. I'm not looking to tell and, and let them decide how they're going to feel. Now, I'm going to tell it, and we're going to tell them how to feel all at the same time, and I'm going to capture that audience. And then it divided because CNN did the same thing. MSNBC followed. At this point, MSNBC, 95% of people that are watching MSNBC are registered Democrats. 95% of people that are watching Fox News are registered Republicans. Their job is no longer to unite and to tell the story to the whole country. It is to divide and to make sure that you and I are at war with each other. And that is a damnable business model. But it is the business model, okay? And there are good people doing good things who have no idea that what they're doing is destroying our country. And what's happening now in the news, it's not just the news anymore. I mean, it is. I mean, it's, do you find it unbearable like I do? Like, I can't, where do you even go to find information? Because this one's going to give me this slant and this one's going to give me this slant. And then social media comes along. And again, remember, only a third of the angels. There was only a third. It wasn't two-thirds. It was only a third. They're controlling the entire narrative. They're the loudest ones. And you have this minority of people who are uh, Silicon Valley tech company owners who are now telling you what you can and cannot see, not the majority, but the minority. Accusations, deceptions, and by the way, this stuff they're accusing you and I of, they're not even provable accusations. That's what's so crazy about this whole thing. When you go back to the gaslighting idea, do I feel crazy? Am I just missing this by a mile? Because call you a racist, like how do I defend that? I, I mean, is there like a chart where I could whiteboard out the non-racist part of me? Is there like, you're a homophobe. I, these are unprovable accusations, but they're thrown out as truth as if there's no other option for it. This is a plan of the enemy to divide a people. The Bible tells us, do not be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. And I promise you that there is a scheme afoot. Look, I don't know if there's a cabal somewhere. I, look, I, Mr. Q, like, I don't know. Charlie's angels, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if there's a Charlie out there somewhere. But I do know this, there is a prince of the power of the air who controls the airways. I know that there is a great dragon, a great serpent who wants to destroy and to attack Jesus' people and the Jewish people specifically. And we have to be aware of that. And I would say that one of the greatest dangers of this and the idea of being gaslit is that it makes you feel crazy and then it, what it does is it shuts you up because I don't, I don't feel comfortable speaking anymore. It wasn't long ago that there was a, 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 a MMA, MMA fighter who's pretty good. And this is a true story. He decided he was a woman. And so he decides, I'm a woman, and now I'm going to take some tests, whatever you take, estrogen. But I'm going to start fighting as a woman in an MMA cage matches. Now, how do you think that went? He beat the crap out of tons of women. On what planet do you sign up for a man beating up women? That's actually crazy. Like, it's literally crazy. But the minority of people, from YouTube to Facebook to Twitter 
to CNN, to MSNBC, say that I can't say that, that the Twitter mob is going to come for me. They're going to cancel me to say that. To just say something that, look, I don't want a man dressed as a woman beating up my daughter. Maybe that makes me crazy. I just don't want that. And I would say this, if you're making this, because some of you are right now, your butt cheeks are real tight because you're mad at me and you think I'm <laughs> losing my mind. Do you know, you know who you are. <laughs> you're like, just relax. I'm your... I'm not even talking about the debate whether this is right or wrong. Whatever. I'm saying that the world we're in right now, we're not even having that conversation anymore because you're not allowed to have that conversation anymore. And that's crazy and that's dangerous and that is fascism coming for us. When I see people in the streets shaming other people, bow to me right now. Raise your fist right now. I'm going to burn your crap down if you don't do this. Calling yourself anti-fascist while doing fascist behavior does not make you anti-fascist. It's a brilliant strategy. It's a strategy began in, in heaven with Lucifer 2,000 years ago, or probably millions of years ago. And what do we do about that as Jesus people? How do we fight that battle? Tell you how we don't fight it. We don't go burn their crap down. We don't pick up guns. We don't go shoot them. We don't, because here's the thing. If this is a war, think with me. The enemy is Satan. They are not your enemy. They're the hostages. And in no war do you shoot the hostages. No, he tells us right here how we do it. Here's how we fight the battle. Verse 11, Romans Revelation 12. Can you tell I'm trying to finish a book on Romans 12 right now? Like I got nothing else on my mind but Revelation 12. <laughs> by the, they overcame them. They triumphed over them by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The blood of the lamb. It's the gospel. Because the fact of the matter is, is there but for the grace of God am I. The fact of the matter is, is if it wasn't for the blood of the lamb, I, you, everyone in this world are cosmically hosed. But because of the blood of the lamb, I now, he didn't just come to die to be a good example for us. He didn't just come to die to show us how much he loves us. That is a crazy idea. Because if that's true, then why don't I just kill myself right now to show my wife how much I love her? You know that's not true. That's not accurate. The blood of the lamb, the story begins in Exodus of the blood of the lamb that would save them from their sins. And not just the blood of the lamb, but the word of their testimony. Bobby, the word of your testimony, what God did, did in your life, nobody can take that from you. They might, they, you can debate this or that, or that, but the fact of the matter is that man was brought off of the streets, set free from drugs and alcohol, preaching the gospel wherever he goes. Nobody can take that from him because that's what happened. All I know is I was blind and now I see. A word of your testimony. And what that does for you is you will not love your life so much, right, as you're just willing to lose it into. 
Shannon and I found ourselves in this random situation Friday night having dinner with a guy named Mike Smith. How common of a name is that? Mike was a stuntman in Hollywood for 30 years. He released a documentary film back in April, April 10th, uh, called Out of the Shadows. Did any of you see that? Highly recommend it before YouTube takes it down again. That guy gave up everything. By the way, his story, God saving him, like it was crazy the way that God saved this guy. And when you go start telling the truth about what's going on in the world, you're going to lose a lot, man. You're going to lose it, Josh. You're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose some stuff when you tell the truth. But dadgummit, the blood of the lamb, it's a, it, who cares? He gave everything for you. The only reasonable response to that is to give everything back. It's a perfectly logical thing to do. And I believe with all my heart in our world right now that what we need are a bunch of Jesus people not letting the minority of the world shut you up because you're afraid you're gonna get canceled, because you're afraid someone's gonna say something mean about you. You know what? You might get fired. It might happen. I can't promise it won't. And who cares? Because it's right to speak the truth. Speak it in love. Don't be a jerk. Don't hear me wrong. That's The blood of the lamb requires us that we can't be jerks about it. The blood of the lamb means that just what Jesus did for me, I just want him to do for you. The blood of the lamb means that you're not my enemy. You're someone that Jesus wants to save too. So I can't do that in anger. We got to stop with the all caps Facebook posts of what's wrong with people, exclamation point, like, and turn them into, man, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you. Tell the truth. Tell it in love. But don't shrink back to love your life so much. Nazi Germany, there were an enormous amount of people who saw what was going on and they didn't like it. And they still put the sign in the windows and they let them walk on by. Cattle cars full of Jewish people screaming out for help would go by churches and the churches would sing louder so they didn't have to hear. And it's easy to judge that and say, wow, those people were terrible. But the fact is, is they did anything, they were just as much of danger as the people in those cattle cars. And that's true. And the fact of the matter is, is who cares what is right to do? How do you want to, five years from now, look back to now, how do you want to look back and say how I live my life now? Live it that way. Standing in front of your father one day, how do I want to look back on my life and say how I lived? Live it that way. The blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony. And stop loving our life so much. Those people in Pakistan worshiping the Lord today, you think that there's no threat to them going to church? Churches in Iran, you don't think there's a risk for them going? And you know what they're doing? They're going to church because there's a risk and it's still important because of what God can do in that environment. I gotta get you out of here. The titans are playing and all that and I'm messing up your day. But look, stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray for you. <laughs> Actually, I couldn't believe anybody's here. I thought the titans were, we'd be everywhere. Like the rapture had happened, but... Thank you guys, honestly, for being here. And I encourage you, if you walk out of here today feeling guilt and shame that I did not do my job, I want you to walk out of here today feeling the grace and the love of God on you and to be inspired to go and to live with the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony and not live in your life in a way that you're just afraid, right? 
We can do that, can't we? Can you imagine what could God could do with a kingdom full of people doing that and living that way? Whoa. All right, well, let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, <laughs> we love you. We thank you. We're blessed by you. We want to live in such a way that is worthy of the sacrifice that you have paid for us, Jesus. And Lord, as we step outside for this baptism, it may only be five minutes, but it's going to be five glorious minutes watching someone give their life to Christ, buried, resurrected, coming to new life in Jesus. That's exciting. Let's celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.